Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. John, come on up. I'm going to introduce you. I'm going to let you introduce Stacy, if that's okay. And um, most of you probably wouldn't be here if you didn't know who something about John and who he is. So I'm not going to do a long, detailed introduction. This is what I want to say. This is my friend. And you need to hear him as uh, the Lord uses him to bring words of beautiful life to people, and uh, if you've never heard the clear message of grace, I promise you, you will hear it tonight, and, uh, and so let me just pray, and will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for John and Stacy. Lord, thank you for who he is. Thank you that you are planted firmly in him, and that he is in you tonight, the very promise that you gave to your disciples and in the book of John, that you would be in us and we would be in you just as you were in the Father and the Father was in you. So we pray for your servant tonight that you would just use him to touch all of us and that our, our hearts would get, get a glimpse of how much you love us, Jim. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, 
Good evening, everyone. Oh, thank you for that warm response. That was hideous. Uh, I've gone through TSA for you people. It, really, that's it? That, that, um, let's just try it again. Uh, let me hang on. Let me get my notes out. Ooh, it sounds like I'm at a Jimi Hendrix concert. Good, 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 good. Okay. Hey, good evening, everybody. Thank you. Um, if I make her stand up, she will um, not be my wife anymore. So this is Stacy Lynch, and she is my bride, and I love her, and she is cooler than everybody else here. So, um, Brenda, Lloyd, thank you guys. New day. Thank you guys. This is uh, this is big leaf for me because you don't know how important it is for me to go places and find out that other streams believe this and have been trying and risking this and and living it out so that's it's huge for me i can't wait to get to go back home and talk to bill and bruce and the whole team and say at true face guys we're finding each other this message this life this grace we're finding each other Oh, and then there's other friends who drove way too far to hear me. I'm worth, uh, I, I believe I'm worth 45 minutes. And uh, Mondo, you can't, gosh, my brother. And others uh, who came hours and hours away. What a gift to me. What a, what a delight. I'm missing a bunch of stuff, but um, I'm going to read uh, from On My Worst Day because I wrote it. And what, what would I do if I didn't read from it? Um, I hope you enjoy it, it's irrelevant to me really. It's here and I've written it, so here we go. Uh, on, on My Worst Day is a book to kind of help me reflect back of what I imagined God might be saying to me before I knew him and then after I knew him. And, and then I just tell some stories growing up and this one's probably for Jim Eisenreich. So, um, 1966, <clears throat> among my favorite Six days on this planet um, is the one Dave Barrows and I spent in the summer of 1966. We decided to hitchhike from our home to Dodger Stadium in LA. We never thought twice of any danger. I mean, we were nearly 14. I have no memory of how we got there, but vivid technicolor memory of nearly every moment once inside the stadium. The Dodgers were playing the Giants in a double header. One price, two games, three times the magic. What we could afford was up in the top row of the stadium. When we finally made our way to our seats, neither of us spoke for a while. We were out of breath, and, and, and we were deeply disappointed. Far below, the players looked like ants in tiny little pieces of cloth. Several minutes into trying to convince ourselves that these seats would work, we decided to take a huge gamble. We had no game plan, but we would find a way down into the bottom section. The stadium was packed, but we had to try. Even if we could only watch close up for an inning or two, it would be worth spending the rest of the day in a basement office with security guards. <laughs> we eventually conned our way down to the entrance of the bottom level. 
We didn't see anyone asking for tickets, so we started our way down towards seats our parents could never afford. I think we might have made it, except this kindly-looking older man wearing a Dodger blue straw hat called out, A gentleman, uh, gentlemen, excuse me, one moment, please. We made the mistake of looking back. He gestured towards us where he was standing. Um, might I see your tickets, please? Well, uh, you see, our parents are down there, and, and Dave took over. They, they've got our tickets. We told him we'd be right back. Gentlemen, may I see your tickets? We each pulled out our tickets, knowing that our dream was over. He looked at them. And then at us, then he leaned his head way back to where our seats were. <laughs> then he looked back at the tickets, and he looked at us again. He made a sucking sound that older people make with their teeth and <laughs> lips when they're considering something. He mumbled to himself, then very seriously he spoke, follow me. And we did. And he walked us down into the great bowl. Past the wealthy people, past the players' wives, past the scouts, past the owners, all the way down to directly behind the third base dugout, the Dodgers' dugout. Without smiling, he looked at our tickets. He wiped off the seat with a towel. And then he said clearly and loudly, Gentlemen, I believe these are your seats. By the time we sat down and stared and realized what had happened, he turned and he was gone. We watched a double header from where God sits when he watches the Dodgers play. <laughs> Koufax pitch one of the games. Sandy freaking Koufax. Maury Will stole a base. Willie Davis dove to make a one-handed catch in center. We bought Dodger dogs and frozen malts. It was a bright, sunny Southern California day. We took off our shirts and swung them over our heads. We cheered like drunken sailors on leave. We listened to our hero, Vin Scully, echoing from the transistor radios throughout the stadium. We'd call out the names of the players, and they'd wave back. Wes Parker tipped his hat to us. We chased down foul balls. Oh, they were truly uh, six of the finest hours of my entire life. Afterwards, we waited and got autographs from Willie Davis, Bill Singer, and Al Ferrara. For 13-plus years, life had been methodically teaching me that the actual event never meets the anticipated expectations. But uh, this day, it exceeded all anticipation. The only thing keeping it from being more perfect was the setting sun setting us onto the freeway on-ramp and back into our normal lives. And I imagine Jesus saying to me, John, I don't know who's happier today, you or me. I've seen this one coming from for, for a long time, kid. I lined up Koufax to pitch for you. That was no small feat. He was scheduled to face Marshall on Sunday. I had to give 
Paul Dostin a stiff shoulder so Walt Olson would be forced to move Koufax up a day. I know you've already discovered much of life is not as spectacular or satisfying as the anticipation, and I've watched this break your heart. It, it will actually serve to cause you to come to me. See, I've built in you this longing for a world that doesn't disappoint. Today, I just wanted to see you enjoying this life as completely as your being can hold. I love you a lot, kid. I can't wait till we get to meet. In the meantime, most of your day-to-day -day is going to be fine. You're going to throw a couple of no-hitters in high school. Your girlfriend will be prettier than Petula Clark. I've got a trip planned where you and a friend are going to drive up the coast of San Francisco in your dad's Chevy Nova during college spring break. On that trip, I'll have your car break down near Santa Barbara because I want you to get acquainted with it. Um, you'll live on the beach there in Isla Vista during your wandering years. Eh, if you're going to run from me, you might as well live in a nice area. Thank you for that um, golf par applause. <laughs> so in Romans, and if I had one book to take people through for the rest of my life, it'd be Romans. And if I had one section of Romans to take people through the rest of my life, it'd be Romans 5 through 8. And right smack dab in the middle of Romans 5 through 8 is Romans 6.14. And it says, for sin, it will not be master over you, for you are no longer under law. You are under grace. Grace! Grace! And you can't say it except for an Irish or Scottish, for this is the manner in which God speaks. <laughs> grace. Sin shall not be master of you because you're no longer under law, but you're under grace. You're no longer under buck-upism or striving or performing or trying or bluffing or grinding it out. The sad part of this verse is that the converse is also true. If you don't embrace grace, sin will be master of you. You'll just learn to hide it. You'll learn to bluff, but it'll be mastery. Power of grace. Well, I got to tell you, I, I got to introduce you about me and my journey a little bit before I can take you to where I want to go. I grew up in Upland, California, where we hitchhiked from that day, Dave Barrows and I. It was a pretty idyllic childhood. Um, my parents, they loved us really well, but my dad was an um, atheist. He was a Mensa atheist. Brilliant, brilliant economist, mathematician, taught at the graduate school, Thunderbird Graduate School uh, business. But we had a great childhood. Then we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and it just got better for me. High school was wonderful for John Lynch. I, I got to senior year. I was student body president. I, I was all-state baseball pitcher, and um, the homecoming queen was my girlfriend. And... She, other than Stacy and Ruth from the Old Testament, she was the prettiest girl. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and, and so life was very good for John Lynch. And then I went to college at ASU and I had blown out my arm. And my girlfriend left me for a better pitcher. 
Is that pitiful or what? I, I, I mean, I, I don't blame her. He had a slider that just dropped off the table. I mean, <laughs> I was attracted to him, you know. <laughs> but something about having someone know you for a long time and knowing a lot about you and then having them leave devastating. Um, I felt embarrassed. I felt shame. You know what shame is. Guilt says you've done something wrong. Shame says there's something uniquely and irrevocably wrong about you. And no matter what you do, it will never change. And so... Um, I started wandering. This straight jock kid bought a 60 Volkswagen and started wandering the countryside. I didn't, I just didn't know. I was heartbroken. Life didn't pay off the way I thought it was going to pay off, and I, I started using drugs of every imaginable type and sleeping with women who are not my wife and wandering. I ended up in Tucson, and I, I rose to the high position of spray painting addresses on curbs, and um, I sold my plasma to buy more drugs. And one day I had this idea, you know what, I ought to go into teaching. <laughs> Here kids, come, follow me. And I did. I got my teaching certification at ASU, and I started teaching at Arcadia High School in Phoenix, Arizona. And my students, I didn't know it, I was an English and drama teacher. And my students, um, I didn't know it, but most of them, about three quarters of them, were young life kids. Do -do 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 -do. <laughs> and they would talk to me about Jesus after rehearsal. If it had been you, I wouldn't have listened, but they were just kids. At that same time, my girlfriend, I moved out from living with her. Something just didn't seem right, and then someone gave me a Keith Green album. And, and C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, and, and then someone gave me a Bob Dylan album, Slow Train Coming, and I thought, if Dylan's become a Christian, what do we got, two weeks left before this wraps up? <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. Dylan. I watched Jesus of Nazareth that holiday, and one day I was getting ready to go out to run, and I... I just went down on my knees and I said, I don't know if I'm even doing this right. I think I saw this on Leave It to Beaver. I, what do I, I'm going to pray, Jesus, I don't know how to do this. I, I've been so terrified of this. I did not want to be one of those people, one of those goofy people with bolo ties. I didn't want to be that. But I believe you're real now. Come into my heart. Forgive me. I know you have already I want to be yours. 
I don't know what else to say. Please, 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 please let me in. December 23rd, 1979. And I got up, and maybe it was from all the acid that I'd taken, and he wanted to give me something more profound, but I was electric. I was a new creation. And I went into malls, and I just felt like I had power, like I could say to someone, you, sir, fall on your knees, trust Jesus. And he would go, all right. (laughs) And then I was reading the Bible. I immediately went out, and I got a black Bible, the official Bible. It had to be, I knew that. And, And I started reading through it, and then I got a Thompson Chain Bible. It had pictures in it, and I thought, I didn't know Paul drew. And... But I was reading, tw- it was over Christmas break, and I was reading 12, sometimes 14 hours a day. I loved it. I, was, I would start out underlining, and then the next time that I would go through, I'd circle it, and then next time through, I would, I would write, yay, God, in the columns. <laughs> I, 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 I read somewhere around the rich young ruler uh, that, that he gave away everything he owned, so I tried to give away everything I owned to my high school kids, and gave away almost everything. I just didn't know anything. And then someone said, you ought to go to, there's a place for you. (laughs) It's called um, seminary. I said, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) No, 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 I'm not one of those people. Um, I know those people. They wear corduroy coats with the little elbow patches. I'm I'm not me. Uh, No, they smoke pipes. I don't know. That, that's not my people. I still had dope resin in my fingernails. And he said, no, no, God's doing a new thing. Just, just fill it up the, see if they do it. So anyways, a seminary in Southern California, I, I wrote to them, uh, Talbot Seminary. And, and there were just questions on the, tell us about your Christian experience. None. Um, tell us things that you've done mission projects, etc. None. I did watch the movie Heidi once. I had nothing. But maybe Talbot was behind or something, and they let me in. And I had no money, but I took the retirement from two years of teaching, and I was able to pay for the first half of a semester. And then I went to work for a man in the daycare center, a Christian man, and he ended up paying for all my seminary. Beautiful seminary. I went in. All I wanted to do was share Jesus across the country. I wanted to get on the 10 speed and tell everybody about Jesus. I thought, if I'd come to Christ, certainly the end must be soon. And here I was now, this innocent, alive, clean, fearless kid with no pretense. And something about studying the Bible for grades or something, something changed in me. Preparing for, I don't know how to say it. I became a religious guy a smug religious guy who knew things better than you did. I knew Hebrew and Greek. 
I became a Pharisee. I, um, preparing for ministry, I found myself trying to appear pastoral and wise and together and godly, and I pretended to like things that I didn't and not like things that I still did. I was afraid to admit struggles in my marriage. I was afraid to talk about wrong thoughts and feelings I still had. It, it reminds me of what we wrote in Bo's Cafe. All of us are awakening to the pain of realizing I can't control my world the way I thought I could. Stuck with unresolved issues whose symptoms I'm trying to fix all without the help of anyone else. All of us are awakening to the pain of realizing I can't control my life the way I thought I could, stuck with unresolved issues. I don't even know what they are. I'm just trying to fix things so I don't get embarrassed. And I'm doing it all without the help of anyone else. So, what if I could discover an environment so safe that the worst of me could be known and I would discover that I would be loved more, not less than the telling of it. What if there was a place, school, church, marriage, family, business, so safe that the worst of me could be known, the worst of John Lynch could be known, and I'd discover that I'd be loved more, not less than the telling of it. The answer is, my unresolved issues would begin to heal. John 13, 34, Jesus says, um, I'm going to give you a new commandment. It's not the 11th commandment. It's a whole new order of commandment. I'm going to give you one commandment. And for the first time in history, a commandment will not cause people to rebel. I'm going to give you one commandment, and you now have the heart for it. You have a brand new heart. See, the problem with the, the Old Testament, the laws actually were designed to draw us to Jesus someday. They were designed in such a way to say, hey, you had better, and if you don't, maybe you're not an Israelite. Commandment was meant to cause me to say, I can't do it. Self-righteous people, I can't do it. Help me. So that one day when the Messiah came, we would recognize and say, you're it. So now everyone who puts their hope in Jesus, we're not saved sinners. Become brand new creatures, fused with him. And now for the first time, he can say, I'm just going to give you one thing to do. And now you have the heart for it. A new commandment I'm going to give to you that, you that you love one another, even as I've loved you, that you love one another. Love. Um, love is the process of meeting needs, period. 
anything else's hallmark sentimentality. Love is the process of meeting needs. You, 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 you will be hard-pressed to find anywhere in Scripture where the Father talks about love, and it's not in the context of meeting needs. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And so he creates us with limitation so that we can be loved. Do you know that? Is, is that incredible? He creates John Lynch with limitation so that I would need you, so that I could receive your love. And here's the irony. When we bluff, when in church we pretend that we don't have needs, that we're all together, doing fine, doing just, just fine, thank you for asking. When we bluff, then we don't get love. If I can't let you meet a need, you can admire me, you can respect me, but, but I won't let you love me. And so I won't receive love and I won't know why. And then I start wearing masks so that maybe you will love this person. But the sad tragedy of that is when I wear a mask, only my mask gets love. I never experience it. So Paul picks up the theme and says in Galatians 6, 2, I want you to bear one another's burdens. I want you to meet each other's needs. Literally, it carries the idea of getting down underneath and help lift. I want you to bear one another's burdens and when you do it, remember that one command that God gave you? You will fulfill it. The only thing I'm asking you to do is to bear one another's burdens. And then you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Well, this takes some work because I've got to earn your trust so that you will let me behind the lies. See, you can get information and knowledge from anyone, but to get insight, discernment, wisdom, it comes through the heart. So I have to trust you. And so I'm longing, my kids, my wife, my family, my friends, I'm longing to earn their trust so that when it gets dark, They'll let me in. Um, see, I carry these, these lies that take place behind the curtain where nobody can get there until I trust them. Um, mine go like this. God, I think this sin issue is too strong for you. God, I think this sin satisfies me maybe more than you can. God, I don't think you've taken care of me the way you have others. All those, you know what they do? They create self-entitlement in me. I deserve. And it trips me up. And so, um, I need to be a place so that when you want to go hidden, you instead will call me. 
See, the key all along the way is learning to confess the sin that I'm intending to do. To find a person who I can tell that sin that I'm intending to do. See, the power of sin is in, in its, it's in its hiddenness. So when I hide, sin foments like a petri dish. But if I can be in an environment where I don't have to hide, if I have someone, it's broken when I choose to reveal my intentions. Oh, you guys. So I get to bear your burden. I get to love you. That's what this gig is about. new commandment I have for you, that you love each other. Paul picks it up and says, all right, guys, bear each other's burdens. Get down underneath and lift, and you're going to have to be someone who is trusted to get to do that. Because if they can just have a place where they can say, John, I'm not in a good place, and I want to tell you what I was intending to do. The power of that sin gets broken. Not forever, but for that time. Grace. Grace. 122 times in the New Testament. Caris. Even more beautiful. Caris. This free gift. This is my best working definition of grace. It is the absolute and unforced favor gained by God's death and resurrection, allowing God to be completely for us and endlessly in love with us, apart from anything we must prove. Grace is an actual realm, a way of life in which we no longer strive for acceptance. We mature and heal and are released into his intentions by trusting that Jesus and all of his power is fused into us, creating an entirely new person. And to trust grace and believe and rest in the sufficiency of unmerited favor, not only for eternity, but for my day-to-day, and to repudiate any other manner of relationship with Jesus, that's to live in grace. For the longest time, when John Lynch was trying to prove that he was enough, I, had, I read scripture differently. I read it with a, with a shame filter, a moralism filter and a shame filter. Same words, but I read it through my shame. And I presumed that Jesus was mad at me or mildly disgusted with me. And so I would read that passage in the gospel where it says and I always read it with a pirate's accent because that's how I thought he was towards me if you love me you'll keep me commandments (laughs) if you love me and I don't much think you do (laughs) if you love me you'll keep me commandments I I I want you to love me I don't know how many, how, how fast, how many, which, which ones. That's reading it through a shame and moralism filter. Same passage, 
and I start to see in grace, oh, it's a first-class conditional in the Greek, which means if do, because you love me, you'll find yourself keeping me commandments. Oh, and by the way, there's just one. Oh, kid, and me father will make his abode with you, and he loves you so much. Same words, same scripture, without the filter. It took me so long, but now, now it's like everywhere I go. Here's grace in for my daily life, 2 Timothy 2.1. My son, you be strong in the, and you'd expect him to say, in the, in the grinding it out, in the self-discipline. No, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Acts 20.32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which alone is able to build you up. Hebrews 4.16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace that will help us in our time of need, in those tight spots, in those chronic things, things that don't go away, things that are too hard to get through. Romans 5.2, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace ignites the power of my new identity in Christ. Grace neutralizes sin's power by freeing me from the law. You know what the law is? The, the, the law is that sign in a park that says, don't walk on the grass. Well, I wasn't going to. But now, now as I read that... <laughs> Now as I read that sign, I, I will make it my life's ambition to, to, I'm going to spell out the lynch name in dead grass for me walking on that grass. It makes rebels out of us. That's what the law does. It makes rebels out of us. And so grace neutralizes sin's power by freeing me from it. Grace trades in my anemic strength for his power. Grace takes away the weariness of bluffing adequacy. Grace destroys abandonment and rejection and condemnation. Grace says you are accepted and loved and enjoyed always. Grace says he is never disgusted or angry with you. Grace pours the blood of Jesus over every single offense. It already has. Grace puts a robe of Christ's righteousness on me. Grace, oh gosh. Grace says, Jesus talking, to the exact extent that my Father loves me, so so I love you. Are you kidding me? Question his taste, but don't question his character. He says it. To the exact extent that my Father loves me, so also I love you. And you. This section back here, not so much, but, but, <laughs> but the rest of you. Is that crazy? Are those 
crazy sounding words and they're true. Grace says, I'll never give up on you. I'll never grow tired of you. Grace says, you're a new creature, a categorically new creature. Your old life is over. It has no claims on you. Grace says, my love has no gradations. No matter what you do, I cannot love you more and I will not love you less. And grace allows me a blamelessness that can allow me to receive criticism, correction, without it defining me. I wrote a piece a long time ago, I think, my son Caleb was 10, and Amy was 8. Let me grab a water stay. And Carly was 2. And it was at a time where I was learning these truths, and I, they now mattered to me because it was my kids, and I loved them so much. Please, God, don't let me buy a faddish theology. If this is not your word from the start, I don't want it. And so I found myself writing this to him, Writing this to me, I called it God's Great New Testament Gamble. It wasn't a gamble to God, but it sure feels like one to us. What if I tell them who they are? What if I take away any element of fear in condemnation, judgment, or rejection? God's saying, what if I tell them that I love them? And I will always love them, that I can't love them more than I love them now, and I love them right now no matter what they've done as much as I love my only son. That there's nothing they can do to make my love go away. What if I told them there are no lists? What if I told them that they were righteous with my righteousness right now? What if I told them they could stop beating themselves up, that they could stop being so formal and stiff and weird and jumpy around me? What if I told them I was absolutely crazy about them? What if I told them that even if they ran to the ends of the earth, did the most unthinkable, horrible things, when they came back, I'd receive them with tears and a party? What if I told them I don't keep a log of past offenses of how little they've prayed or how often they've let me down or made promises they don't keep? What if I told them they don't have to be in, owned by men's religious additions or traditions? What if I told them if I'm their savior, they're going to go to heaven no matter what's a done deal? What if I told them that they had a new nature, that they were saints, not saved sinners who should now buck up and be better if you're any kind of a Christian after all he's done for you? What if I told them that I actually live in them now, that I've put my love and power and nature inside of them at their disposal? What if I told them they never had to put on a mask, that it was absolutely okay to be exactly who they are at all at this moment and to be told you're absolutely right on time with all their junk and not have to pretend about how close we are, how much they pray or don't, how much Bible they read or don't? What if they knew they didn't have to look over their shoulder for fear if things got too good, the other shoe was going to drop? What if for all those who put their hope in Jesus Christ, what if they knew that I will never, ever, 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 ever use the word punish in relation to them? What if they knew when they mess up, I never get back at them? What if they were convinced that cir bad circumstances are not my way of even in score for taking advantage of me? What if they knew the basis of our friendship was not on how little they sin, but on how much they let me love them? What if they had permission to stop trying to impress me in any way? What if I told them they could hurt my heart, but I'd try to never hurt theirs? What if I told them I kind of like Eric Clapton's music too? 
that the these and thous have always confused me. What if I told them I was never that crazy about the Christmas handbell deal with the white gloves? What if I told them they could open their eyes when they pray and still go to heaven? What if I told them there was no secret agenda, no trap door? What if I told them it wasn't about their self-effort, but that was allowing me to live my life through them? That's my, that's the New Testament download. And we're the guinea pig test. Would we take advantage of that and do Christianity light? Or would it allow us with a brand new heart to crawl into his arms and trust him? My son's 32 now, and Amy's 30, and Carly's 25. And I think they love Jesus more tenderly than I do. So, religio man comes out of seminary, and I stumbled into an environment of grace and trust. I came to wow them with my preaching, and they loved me and endured me. And gently, the environment pulled me from a doctrine of performance and buck-up epistemology and replaced it with new identity, grace, love, joy, no condemnation, freedom, trust, safety, vulnerability, and playfulness. And that theological shift is allowing me to no longer hide, trust others with me to protect me, to accept that God is never ashamed of what is really true about me presently, to rest in my new identity and the Spirit's power to grow me from the inside out and to cultivate authentic, vulnerable relationships. So what if we courageously began to nurture relationships and communities of grace where godliness is not based on appearances of how many wrong things you do not do and where, the, where we applaud exposure and we don't reject those who are failing, where the environment is safe enough for me to try out my faith instead of bluffing it, where the goal is not that anything gets fixed necessarily, because nothing gets fixed, only redeemed. Where the goal is not that anything gets fixed, but that nothing ever has to be hidden. What if we put our efforts into learning how to love rather than attempting to manage our sin? Well, this old Pharisee is an answer to that question. For I've learned acceptance and submission and humility and trust. And I've learned heartfelt obedience over compliance. And I'm able to work harder in grace than by any other motivation. And I've worked through horribly hard stuff without having to run, without having to leave. And I've learned to trust this power of new life in me. And I'm no longer hidden. I don't wear a mask. And I'm able to offer freedom for others to not hide. And I'm able to free others 
to Jesus. And I'm no longer trying to impress you with the appearance of godliness. I'm too old to go back to prison. So what if I was real? I mean, you guys brought me all the way to Kansas City. What if you really knew? What if, what if I let you know who I really was? Not the preacher man in front of you, but what if not just transparent appearing with no intention to let anyone help, but vulnerable, really known? Huh. That sounds familiar because I remember doing that to a girl a long time ago and she left me. I don't want that again. And God says, John, I already know. I know everything about you. I know everything that you're ever going to do. I know everything. And I will not leave. I cannot love you any more than I do and I will never love you less. I will be your safety net and your exposure. All right, so what if you really knew me? Some of this may be funny, some of it is not funny at all. What if you knew that I, I didn't really relate or enjoy most of the Christian music that was available the first 15 years of my faith? It was terrible. Uh, we had a song, here, here was one. I've got oil in my Ford, keep me trucking for the Lord. I've got oil in my Ford, amen, hallelujah. People left Christianity for the Baha'i faith because of that song. <laughs> but I really do like Tom Waits and Bruce Coburn and Todd Snyder and Jesus Culture and Justin Vernon and the Waylon Jennies. If my wife dies, I will go follow those girls, those Canadian girls on tour. I love Ellie Holcomb and Stephanie Gretzinger and Jason Isabel and the Head and the Heart and John Hyatt and Bob Dylan and Ellis Paul and Keb Moe and a Cajun band in their late 60s named Little Feet. Arr! What if you knew that I get really in, uncomfortable in Christian bookstores? <laughs> They're so quiet. I want to run around saying, hey, 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 we win, remember? <laughs> I don't know if I can get these back down. <laughs> oh, and up at the counter, they have testaments. Little, little mints with verses on them. <laughs> Here, Floyd, come to Christ and have fresh breath. <laughs> what if you knew that I'd, and Stacy always says, perhaps we don't share this one. What if you knew, what if you knew that I'd rather visit the hand lotion boutiques with my wife than Hope Depot with the guys? <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> What if you knew on the husband and wife temperament grids, I always end up on the wife's side? What if, what if you knew that on occasion when I'm walking my dog Bailey and it's dark and she poops deep in someone's yard, I may or may not go pick it up. <laughs> and only sometimes do I go back the next day to bag it. 
I can tell you that because you're not in my town. <laughs> what if you knew that I am fragile and I'm not strong and I'm gifted in mercy, not ruling? What if you knew that I, that I don't pray as much or maybe the way you think I should? What if you knew that um, sometimes I am faithless with incredible fear? What if you know that I can make Stacy, my wife, feel stupid and she tells me that sometimes I hurt her? What if you knew that it at parties in the very communities that I help start, I can feel alone. And I go hide in the restroom for a while. What if you knew that even several months ago I felt ashamed for my childlike behavior in front of my fellow elders? What if you knew that I have neuropathy in my feet and it burns and burns and burns and sometimes I just want to quit and just go to heaven? And what if you knew that in fifth grade I got violated by a tough kid? And I never told anyone. For years and years, all the way through junior high and high school, all the way even to becoming a Christian. All the way, in fact, we wrote the book True Face, and I never told anyone. I was so afraid if I told you that you would pity me. And that you would, um, I would lose my seat at the table. So what if I told you those things about me? Would I be less godly? Careful now. Because I used to think so. But the godly are those who believe God period. The godly are not those who just keep from doing enough wrong things. The godly are those who trust him with them, period. Next question, just almost as important. Would others find me to be less godly? Well, just the opposite for all these years has been my experience. And so the chameleon who spent a lifetime pretending that he was someone else so that he would be accepted and loved is gradually learning to believe that he is loved and fully accepted. And like the velveteen rabbit, it's making him real. So, what if this was true? What if the shed blood of Jesus Christ was so powerful that for those who put their hope in Jesus, clumsily, poorly, but they do, he's never been over there on the other side of my sin. Instead, he walks all the way around, and he walks straight up in front of me, um, standing 
right in front of my face, like maybe no more than 18 inches from my face. And he says, he puts his hands on my shoulders and he says, I love you so much. I'm crazy about you. And he smiles with a smile that no human can make. And he says, I know. I know from, I've known everything from before the world began. And I've, I've got this. You are right on time. And then he would pull me tight into a bear hug. So tight that at first I want to fight it. I want to say, no, 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 you have the wrong person. Don't, I don't just stop, please. holding me so tight and keeps saying I know I'm not ashamed I'm, I'm so crazy about you I've got this I've so got this kid I love you you are right on time and then I don't want to fight it anymore I have waited all my lifetime to be loved like this Betty keeps holding me tight, so tight, keeps saying, I know it, I know. And I'm not ashamed, I'm not mad, I'm not disgusted, I got you. And he keeps holding me until he's absolutely convinced that I believe him. And then, and only then, does he start to release his grip? And then only so that he can put his arm around me. And we can look at all my junk, all my stuff, all my sin together. Every time I do this, I, I, I imagine him with me looking at my sin, looking at me, looking at my sin, and then saying, <clears throat> gee, that's a lot of sin. <laughs> like, don't you ever sleep? <laughs> and then he would say, and, and I've got this kid. We've got this. I'm crazy about you. And we'll deal with it when you're ready. Oh, and by the way, you are ready in five and four and three and two and one. So um, all I can tell you now, after a stroke and 65 years on this planet now, is that this limb will hold. And this is not religious consolation. It's for such as you and I, precious ones. Thank you so much. You want to do a Q&A? Yeah. Q and response? I don't need that. Um, <laughs> just wanted to check. See you if notice I was willing to give it. Yeah, to yeah. Thank you. 
uh, you know what? I don't want to do question and response. I want to ask you what you heard. Right. It is more important that I get to ask you what you heard and for you to have a chance to say, I think I heard this. Would you be willing to do that? Raise your hand and tell me, uh, um, either get the mic to them or say it out loud and tell me what you heard. When you were talking about that the limb would hold, you know, that, that God can hold you, that because what I was going to ask was just kind of what or what your approach would be or what you found when when it seems like the rules change. When you stumble along things like, because I was like you, I got good grades in Bible college, you know, and then the ministry didn't work out, and then this didn't work out, and then after years of not having a child, we adopt a child, and the child's got such severe special needs that some days nobody can help us. You know, and trying to not, you know, because in religious circles you don't admit that you're disappointed with God. You feel like you didn't get what you expected, but some days it's like, you know what? I trust you, but I'm really ticked off because this doesn't, this isn't okay. You know, what do we, you know, how do you still approach relationship like that? Amen. Amen. You know? Well, first he goes, oh, you're yelling at me. <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> that situation's hard. And he's not disgusted, put off, and he knows you. And he actually takes, go figure, how does this even work? Romans 8.28 says, he causes all things to work together for good. All the disappointment, all the failure, all the things that didn't, all the dreams that didn't pan out. And he says, not all things are good. Some things stink. They are wrong. They're evil. They're chronic. But I will cause all things things to work together perfectly for you for your very best life on this planet i will change your heart i will change the direction of your heart i've already changed your heart but i will woo you i will draw you i'll make you tender and i'll make you authentic and your influence will get to come out of that not not a perfect life not an ideal life sacred question. Thank you. What else did you hear? Don't ask hard questions. Just tell me what you heard. <laughs> no, that was so beautiful. Thank you so much. But no one else. <laughs> you know, in, in coming here, um, new things are happening, and I'm struggling with, I'm bad, but yet I'm good, and he still loves me, but how, how can he love me? Because I'm bad. And you talking about, I don't know if it's for you, but for me, I, there's time that I feel worthless and faithless, but yet my heart is screaming, I love you. And it's like, how, how does that work? How does that, Amen. how does that keep coming around? Amen. So it's um, a struggle. And I think um, there are, are no together people, only those who dress better. And so you are representing all of us. And there are times when I feel, I don't even know if I have worth. Do I still have worth if I can't still stay in ministry because of this pain or whatever? Um, he has loved you from before the world began, adored you, wanted there to be a you on this planet. He said, 
Right now, all I'm concerned is about making this guy. I want there to be one exactly like him. And his shed blood makes it so that you are right on time. So that he, he's never questioning, you know what, I did like him, but eh, eh. I, he's, he's disappointed me a lot. You have the permission to see him smiling all the time. You, have, you get to give yourself, not because we're making stuff up, but from as far back as time can go, he has believed that and he's had that position and it will never change. He wrote it in his book. I'm crazy about you. Yes, what else did you hear? Um, for me, it was really just how you talked about, like, what if I shared all this? And what if everyone knew exactly who I was, exactly everything I've been through, and how that tied into also being redeemed, not fixed. Because I'm mm -hmm. going through so much of the phase of just, like, oh, I need to fix this so I can, so I can do what God has for me to do in the future. Because yeah. he's, he's showed me what he wants me to do. So I'm like, okay, well this doesn't work. Like these problems I have don't work if I'm going to do that in the future. And so just how that really shifts the paradigm of mm -hmm. I don't need to be fixed, by, but just realizing that I'm redeemed and I'm still like as much as every Christian knows that God loves you no matter what, but just having that paradigm shift of like I'm redeemed and just how much even people in my life, how much I see that for them and just being like, even when you're talking to people, it shifts your paradigm to say Amen. you're redeemed and not so, need so, to be fixed. So beautiful. So well said. Thank you very, very much. And not everybody needs to know everything about you, right? Nobody at the DMV cares about my stuff. <laughs> but, but there has to be some people who do know you and that you can tell everything to and they can know the worst about you so you don't have to hide yes excuse me um i made a decision about a year ago it was a life or death situation that i had to make and um i've had eight surgeries since i've had to quit my job that was my identity um i supported my family uh My identity in Christ has become so close. We're like, yeah, I couldn't make it without him. Here's my dilemma. Um, as a mother, I feel worthless. Um, I've been on bed rest for seven months. They're eating McDonald's every day. <laughs> um, I don't feel like an example. So when I see my kids, and I'm like, oh God, what am I even, how am I even helping them to understand who you are when I'm in this bed? And I got a daughter that's not talking to me. Um, I have another surgery coming up. But all these blessings have been coming in, and I just, I know God's there. I know God loves me because there's no way we could be keep getting out of these troubles because it's God. Um, so I've lost my identity as a woman. I've lost my identity uh, as a mother. 
And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, how do you deal with the fact that you're doing okay with God? And he says, you are a mother, you are this, but yet you see your children, they're just, I, I call my house, it's like Neverland. <laughs> Everybody just runs wherever. I have a 23-year-old daughter who needs me. Um, my son's amazing. He crawls in bed with me. He tells me I love you, and he sings the song of Solomon to me. But um, if I wouldn't have done this, I would have died of breast cancer. And part of me lately has wished I would not have done it, and that I wish that maybe my family would have been better off if I would have just allowed things to come naturally. So I guess I'm just what I'm trying to say is, how do I feel okay with my children? Thank you. Thank you for coming tonight. I don't, I don't want to give you cheap answers, by the way. And you know that this is, I don't want to do that. And by the way, is it just so hard for you just to tell me what you heard? <laughs> um, first of all, your kids, just from what I heard of that woman, they're getting more than enough. They may not be getting what you want to get them right now, but they're getting the love of Christ taught by a woman who is trusting Christ. <laughs> They'll be more than okay. And they will get to learn how to protect you. And others get to stand with you and love you. It's sacred. What a beautiful thing when I get to say, I'm not powerful and I can't contribute right now the way I want to. So then you get to be loved and you get to let others love you and that's what they are meant to do. So I would say that I think God's doing it really well in you. And he is proud of you and he sees you as heroic and your kids, they are being loved very well by you. I don't know how many of us had kids who were singing the Song of Solomon in bed to their <laughs> So I hope that helps you. I'm so grateful that you're here. What else did you hear? Thank you. I heard you say something interesting about the fear of accepting this grace is that it'll be Christianity light. Yes. And yet I also heard you say that the truth of this grace is that you will love others. You mm. will follow Jesus' commandment because you will have that, um, that everything you need to do that. Amen. And so instead of Christianity light, it's really the truth and the mm. deepness of Christianity. That's what I heard you say. Thank you. So many places I go, the pastor says... If we let this stuff out, I know what's going to happen. These people are going to run willy-nilly. They're going to... And what they're saying is, I do not trust that they're new creatures. I think that they're saved sinners who just are waiting for an excuse to get to the dog track and drink whiskey. 
guys, I want to tell you, it, it's a beautiful place for me to say, wow, John Lynch, I don't want to get away with anything. There's nothing I'm trying to get away with. Wow. The, the Christ in John Lynch, that's the truth. And if we knew that, see, we'll do it. We should do what works. And with our kids, if we thought that that would work to tell them you ought to, you should, what's wrong with you, and will you, your brother could, why can't you? Then we should do that if that would grow them healthy. But if not, then we should have the integrity to be able to say, how do I learn the art of wooing their new heart to come out and play? How do I do that? Well said, thank you. Talking about swing, um, although what, what if I tell them about you and your confessions? What I heard was um, that some of the things you said, I was like thinking, wow, we would deal with that too. So we are no worse off than you are. We're no, we are no better, no worse than you are. Amen. And hearing a pastor or a leader or someone say those kind of things gives the rest of us the hope that, okay, ah, we can relax now. Like, we're dealing with the same struggles. Amen. This is, it's doable. Amen. We, yeah. And, and, and for us to create a thing where the religious leaders are above us and have it more together, then it creates a Gnosticism. The truth is, I just talk fast and well. I'm no, but I, I, you go to seminary and you don't, God says, oh yes, you just learn stuff and get a certificate. There are no together people. Thank you for saying that. It validates me so much because this is what I want to do is to make sure that we all know that we're Christ in us. That we all know that we have the equal amount of God in us. That there are no super saints. There's just us. There's no clergy lady. There's just us. Thank you for validating that. For so many years, I, I became a believer right about the same time you did, in 1979. Hmm. And for all those years, up until the last, last five years, it was just, you know, do what you do. And you always hear about unconditional love. But there are conditions. <laughs> and uh, now I'm starting to hear, it's true. Amen. It, it is unconditional. God's amen. love is absolutely amen. unconditional. Amen, amen, amen. It is a, a mind-blowing place when you come to that. It changes everything. A couple more. I don't want to hold us too long. Please come meet me out at the book table. And especially, well, just especially nothing. Just say hi to me. I'm, <laughs> I'm lonely. Please. Like, I hope I'll express this the correct way, but the biggest thing that really smacked me in the face this evening is that in my, in my past growing up in a Christian home, I always felt like I had to hit all these metrics yes. and have these lofty goals to be accepted and to be a good Christian until it got to the point that I just walked away from all of it and said, forget, this is for the birds. I can't do this. And, and what you said tonight that really hit me hard was that doing God's commandment is just getting close to a, a person 
and getting underneath them and lifting them up and saying, you can be whoever you are around me and I'm going to be who I am around you and Amen. that's okay. Amen. And I, I can earn trust. Doesn't mean that I'm going to do exactly right. That's so beautifully said, so powerfully said. And I tell you, another paradigm shift for us in that is to say, that's the one thing he's asked me to do. And what I get to do is stop trying so hard to love him enough and let him love me. Can you imagine what, a, what, what I as a father, what am I longing for my kids to do, to try to love me, but to let me love them? Guys, if we could get that, yes, he loves that we love him. He says, but thank you. Would you let me love you? And that's, we are free to do that when we no longer are trying to make the metrics. When we're making the metrics, we see just an angry, tough, demanding God. And instead, with his new life in us, he says, man, I could do so much more than you can do by your willpower and by your toughing it out. By the way, before I take another question, I got to do what I didn't get to do a moment ago. I just want to hug this girl. <laughs> I have the privilege in this lifetime to get to be where you would even ever say those things. In my, hey, what a privilege. Thank you. A couple more and then let's, let's uh, go. I'm going to pick up on what he just said because I was thinking the same thing that um, what I heard you say uh, if I can confess the sin I intend to commit, um, and I think of sin, you know, for me, maybe just something I'm struggling yes. with or wrestling with, um, then I'm letting someone bear my burden. And, and the power of the sin gets broken in the confession, Amen. and that is so powerful. And Amen. how wonderful even to be the person that is safe enough to let other people do that. What a gift so you give to them. To They've me, waited that's for true this. community. Oh. So. I've waited for that all my life yeah. to be that person that someone would let me do that. Because then I get to be a lover. I, it, wow, I've wanted to do that. So, so eloquently said. Thank you. Yes. Well, I've heard all my life that Christ, or that God created us in his image. What I've learned, what I hear you saying tonight too, that Christ is in us always. And when you depicted uh, the arms around us, the tight grab, that how tight that grab is has nothing to do with what we've done or there's no way we can earn more of his love or a tighter grab or a longer hug. And, um, that it's, uh, and that's what I, that's one of the so cool things I heard you say. So, so, what an incredible statement. Does anybody ever look at it and just say, are you kidding me? To the exact extent that my father loves me. And that's without condition and that's perfect, by the way. So also I will love you on your worst day. Why? Because he is love. And he created us to love. What a beautiful, beautiful reality that changes us and causes us to want to obey from the heart. 
One more. Thank you. What I heard was love one another. So many times we think there's so many th things we have to do and be to, to love one another. And you just said it just now. Um, loving people doesn't mean you judge them. It doesn't mean that they're rich, poor, what color they are, whatever it is. But you, not just that, you made that statement, but then you went on to tell us how to do that because you showed how God did it with you. Yeah, gosh, thank you. Thank you. Well, um, th there's going to be one more or he will hurt me. This is the last one I mean it, officially, who, unless you're bigger it? than him. Yes, I, I, he's over it? here. Just Where? Wherever. Just oh, I see that now. <laughs> Oh, no, he's going to ask me a question. Don't. No questions. Um, I probably listened to the New Testament gamble bit at least 100 times, um, but I didn't know you wrote it for your kids, and that really um, has been a big deal in this whole grace journey for me. Um, probably five years ago, I was sitting around a, a campfire with some men, and I was trying to express to them what I was learning about God's grace. One of them said to me, he says, what you're saying is probably true, but I can't tell that to my kids. And I stood up and probably threw in a few words that I shouldn't have. It's a campfire. <laughs> and said, if there's anything that I want to tell my kids, that God loves them no matter what they ever do or don't do. And it's been scary. I've been, it feels like walking out on a limb, not just my kids, but we've been in Uganda. I've got 50 kids I've been telling this to, and it's been really scary because everybody's watching. Absolutely. If, if you tell them and they screw up, then you screwed up. And thank you for, thank you for reiterating. Thank you for... Things. Thank you for risking to live out the New Testament gamble and for believing that if you tell your kids who they are, that they're going to mess up, they're going to goof up, they're going to they're throw it back in your face. But they get to be authentic in an environment where they're known. And eventually they go, I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to live a double life in front of my parents. Thank you for risking to believe that. Well, over-the-top experience for me. Thank you. I'm so grateful to get to be with you. You guys have been magnificent. Thanks for giving me that time to where we could uh, have feedback together. And let me just close in prayer. Uh, Father God, I, I look around this room and I see friends. And I see people I don't know. And would you let what we did tonight not be a talk from a preacher would you let it be um, something that, that confirms what we've wanted to believe could be true about God from when we were a child? Would you let us dare to put our full weight on it? As the gentleman in the back said, sometimes I feel worthless. I, how can he love me? 
that that's how powerful the cross and resurrection was. It broke any division between us. Anything. It doesn't mean that he doesn't hurt for us when we fail or we um, make wrong decisions. But it does not affect his affection and delight. How could it be true, Jesus Christ, that you could be this way? Father, how could it be true? How did we stumble into such love? Oh, Father God, let us no longer teach moralism or buck-upism or striving or bluffing or hiding. Let us teach what my brother just shared over there to his kids. That we could risk this being true in the authority of Jesus and with the power of the Holy Spirit, with this new nature inside of us, we cry out, Amen. Thank you, guys.